Thanks, guys. Good morning, everybody. I'm glad you're here. Uh, first service was a little fuller than usual. I don't know. Is there a Seahawks game today? Yeah, that's what I thought. But yeah, I'm glad you're here today. Thank you so much for being a part of uh, what God's doing at East Point. And I want to take just a moment and unpack something before we get into Philippians chapter 3 that Teresa talked about in the announcements because uh, I'm very excited about it. Uh, on October 9th, so a few weeks from now, we start what's called 50 Days of Transformation. And it's an eight-week series that uh, we will walk through um, uh, the different aspects of wholeness and health that God has for us, spiritual health, physical health, emotional health, a whole bunch of issues that we're gonna deal with in this series. And as she mentioned, we're looking for uh, some new hosts. People say, well, I'm not a leader. I, we're not looking for leaders, we're looking for a host. If you can, you know, if you've got a heart for people, you can open your home, you can serve a snack, you can turn on the DVD, you're qualified, you're it. So we wanna encourage you to sign up and the way you can do that is in the back corner over here, there's a table, a round table by the connections board. And if you want to host a group, just sign up there. Or you can go online and uh, click the banner that says 50 Days of Transformation and uh, sign up there. It'll take you to a link to sign up to host a group. People say, you know, I don't really know a lot of people in this church. Hey, small groups is where we get connected. Connection's one of our core purposes, core values around here. I want to encourage you to get involved in small groups. So even if you don't want to host a group, when we start talking about here's the groups that are available, I want you to attend one. And the other thing's going to happen during the 50 Days of Transformation, that series, is that we will have this really cool, and it's awesome. It's a book. Uh, it's a workbook. It's not just something you sit down and read. But we'll have this available next week for you to purchase, and you're going to want one of these. I ordered 150. I hope we run out. We'll send them to you at our cost, so we're not making any money. But this book uh, is a place for you to take notes on Sunday morning, place for you to take notes from the DVD on the uh, small groups. And the coolest part about it, I like it, it's got daily devotions as well. 50 Days of Transformation, 50 devotionals are in here for you to actually walk through this whole process with us. And as a church, we're gonna go through it from top down. So if Sunday morning, uh, our services will be focused on 50 Days of Transformation. The youth are doing it, the kids are doing it. So it's everybody on the same page for 50 days, and I'm expecting some really great things. So check that out next week. Be praying about hosting a group, and I definitely want you all involved in one that will be important for you. Well, we're going to uh, continue in our series today called Joy Matters. We'll be in Philippians chapter 3. If you've got your Bible or your Bible app, open up to Philippians, the third chapter. We'll get there in just a minute. Uh, I mention this frequently, that if you don't have a Bible at home, we want you to have the Word. So in the racks uh, by the doors, there's an NIV Bible there. Pick that up. Take it home as our gift to you. We want you to have the Bible. But I encourage you to bring a Bible with you or, you know, download a free Bible app because uh, I'm going to read a fairly lengthy passage today. You'll get a lot more out of it if you see it as I read it, but we'll get there in just a second. I'm going to unpack the idea of pressing on, moving forward today. Pressing on and moving forward. Even though I'm going to tell you up front, I understand that that's often difficult to do. It really is. See, we humans, uh, we have a lot in common. Uh, but one of the things that's typically true about most humans is that we choose the path of least resistance. We don't typically, by nature, choose the hard path. Given the option to choose something hard or easy, what do most of us do? We pick easy. I know that would be true of me. And we're like a flowing river. You know, you watch a river, you fly over a river, you see that it's all winding, twisting, turning. It, it, why didn't you just go straight? Why didn't the river just take the straight path? That would have been a lot faster. Well, because it took the path of least resistance. And that's the way we humans often operate. Even if you've got pain in your past, or your past is filled with uh, failure or lots of bad memories, some of us, we choose to live there because it's familiar and it's known. It's, in a way, though it's painful, it's easier to be there than to move into something we don't know. Letting go and moving on is hard because it often means moving into the unfamiliar and the unknown. 
We become comfortable with what we know, even if what we know is difficult. It's kind of like an aroma, and maybe it's a stink, and we just, you don't smell it because you're used to it. You know, you walk into somebody's house, and I'm not thinking of your house, but you walk into somebody's house, and ever notice that there's a unique smell a lot of homes have? And maybe they have like 20 cats, or maybe they have goats, or I don't know, whatever, but they, they have this unique, maybe not goats, okay, but I understand. But they have this unique smell. Maybe they like, you know, refried beans and they cook Mexican food all the time. And you walk in their house, and man, you know, because you smell it. But they don't. They don't have any, because it's an, a familiar aroma to them. Often, think about it, often in our lives, there are things that we've just kind of got familiar with, comfortable with, even though it's not good, not healthy, and we haven't pressed on and moved forward, and that's what God wants for us. I've got a dear friend. I've known him for a long time. He lives in Phoenix, area of, uh, Phoenix, Arizona. And he's uh, the most neurotic guy I've ever met in my life. And he would not, you know, disagree with that. If he was sitting right here, I wouldn't point him out. But he's definitely, he's, he's terribly fearful. He's always anxious, always a worry wart. And part of it, I know a story. He had some really tough experiences, abandoned, actually, as a teenager. Had some tough experiences uh, in his 20s. And uh, so I get, I have empathy I have compassion for the fact that he struggles because of his past. But what's frustrating for me as his friend is I also know that he chooses not to move forward. It's not like he can't, it's that he won't. Why? Because, well, what he knows and the identity he has as, as a guy who's been through a lot, a victim, is something that he's more comfortable with. Here's the big idea today, and I encourage you, we have outlines on the small tables by the post if you wanna uh, use those as we walk through the series. But here's the big idea. Being locked into the past is a trap that keeps us from joy. We've been talking about joy. And being locked into the past is absolutely this trap that will keep you from experiencing the joy God wants you to. The key to our freedom, to your freedom, is learning how to let go as we press on. And one of the key words there is learning. It's learning how to let go as we press on. Now, let me say something that's obvious. We all have a past. We all have a past. Some of us, like me, have a pretty dysfunctional and broken past. My family, we're the poster children, poster family for dysfunctionality. Some not quite as bad. You think, oh, I, didn't, I don't have a really messed up history. I, you know, I, I had a good experience growing up, whatever. But wherever you're at, though, I will tell you this. Letting go and moving forward is the path to joy. If you're always looking back, you're not gonna get there. This passage that we're gonna un unpack in Philippians, in many ways, is the climax uh, to Paul's letter to this church in Philippi. He's excited, he's passionate, he's energized, and make no mistake about it, he wrote this to encourage his friends to follow his example, he says that in this passage, and to move on, to press on. He wanted them, no matter what, no matter what was their history, no matter what was their current experience, he wanted them to keep their eyes on Jesus, to keep their eyes forward on the goal and the prize. And he challenges them, and because it's the scriptures, therefore God, the Holy Spirit, challenges us to, to, to recognize two things, our eternal identity in Christ. If you're a Christ follower, the Bible says you are in Christ, you're in Jesus. That means you have a new identity. You are his. You belong to him now. You're his kid. And Paul encourages us to focus on our eternal identity, that we are in Christ, in him, that we belong to Jesus, and on our, on our eternal destiny as well, that this world is not our home, that we are citizens of another realm of the kingdom of heaven. He wants you to understand your eternal identity and your eternal destiny. With that in mind, let's pick it up in Philippians chapter three, verse 10. Philippians 3.10. Paul says, I want you to know Christ. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. And so somehow, 
attaining to the resurrection from the dead. Paul says, and we unpacked this last week, he wants you to know, he wants us to know Jesus. Even if that means suffering, he wants us to know Christ. Verse 12, then Paul says this, not that I have already obtained all this or have already arrived at my goal. I'm not there yet, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. But one thing I do, Paul says, forgetting what is behind and straining forward toward what is ahead. See the energy there, the straining toward what is ahead. I press on, verse 14, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Verse 15, all of us then, who are mature, should take such a view of things. And if on some point you think differently, that too God will make clear to you. So Paul says, I hope you get this, but if you disagree, my hope is God will make it clear to you that no, this is the path, this is what we need to do. Then verse 16, only let us live up to what we have already attained. So we'll unpack some of this, but Paul says, I'm forgetting what I was, pressing forward, but he also says, let's live up to what we already have in Christ, who we are, our identity in him. Verse 17, join together in following my example. He says, follow me. Brothers and sisters, and just as you have as a model, keep your eyes on those who live as we do. So follow my example, follow the example of those who are leading the path as well into relationship with Jesus, into freedom, into joy. Verse 18, for as I've often told you before, and now tell you again, even with tears, many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their destiny is destruction. Their God is their stomach, their bellies, and their glory is in their shame. Their mind is set on earthly things. Paul says, I want you to follow me, follow the example that I have and what I understand about my relationship with God and who I am and what we are in him. And don't be like those people who are set on earthly things, who are made gods of their own bellies, of their own lives. He says, why? Verse 20, because our citizenship is in heaven. If you're a Christ follower, this is true of you. You are a citizen of heaven. You belong to another realm. Now, it doesn't mean we don't have roots in whatever country you are a part of. It doesn't mean we're unpatriotic. I know it's 9-11, and I recognize and remember those who lost their lives and suffered and the horrific events that happened 15 years ago. But Paul reminds us here something we need to hear, that this world is not the end. It's not the end of our story, that we have citizenship in another realm. Our citizenship is in heaven. And we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control will transform, transform our lowly bodies so that we will be like his glorious body. Paul says the day's coming. Jesus is coming back. And when he does, this our suit's due for an upgrade. I'm gonna gonna have a whole new glorious body and a whole new eternal realm. But he says, but right now, let's live up to what we've already attained, who we are in him. Chapter four, Verse one, and by the way, I'm gonna include this, the chapter designations in our Bible, we made that up, that's not, Paul didn't say, no, chapter four, verse one, this is us. But here's what he said in verse one. Therefore, because of what I just said, my brothers and sisters, you whom I love and long for, my joy and crown. I said uh, over and over again, we said the joy and rejoice. The word uh, joy and rejoice, those words are used 15 times in this letter. And here it is again, my joy and crown. Stand firm in the Lord in this way, dear friends. Stand firm in the Lord. There are a dozen directions, different things we could cover in this passage. There's a lot here. But I wanna focus on what do we need to know about pressing on. What do you and I need to understand about this issue that Paul challenges us to do, to press on? And here's the first one, number one in your outline. 
Our value to God is never based on being perfect. It's about being his. Our value, your value to God is never based on your performance, about being perfect. It's about being his. In fact, God loves to use broken and imperfect vessels. We sang a song about it just moments ago. What I need you to hear, and you've heard me if you've been around you, you've heard me say this before. My book, Epic Grace, I say this over and over again in that book, that God delights, he delights, he loves to use imperfect and broken vessels just like you and me. God delights in using us, the broken and the imperfect. Last week, I said that uh, part of the key to knowing joy and experiencing joy is knowing that you are loved, that there's nothing you could ever do to make God love you any more or any less than he already does. And it was really foundational to this talk today. If you missed it last week, a lot of you were gone for the holiday, I encourage you to go to eastpointchurch.com and, and watch last week's message. Because it really is foundational for you to understand this today in all its fullness. It would be helpful for you to remember this. There's nothing you can ever do to make God love you any more or any less than he already does. And I want you to notice here that, that the great apostle Paul, I mean, if you know anything about the Bible, you, you know that this guy's a, a hero, he's famous. He wrote nearly half of the New Testament, nearly half of the New Testament written by this guy, Paul, the first missionary. He went all over the known world at that time. This man here says, I ain't perfect yet. I find that comforting. Paul said in verse 12, not that I've already obtained all of this or have already arrived at my goal. Paul says, I haven't obtained perfection yet. I'm still in process. How many of you are still in process? Yeah, and listen to me, it's okay. It's okay, it's good. In fact, as long as you're on this side of eternity in this body and these earth suits, you will always be in process. The day you get to the point, you come up to me and say, I've arrived, Bubna, I'm gonna kick you in the tush. Because that, nobody ever arrives, not on this side of eternity. We're all in process. And the great apostle Paul is saying, I'm not there yet. Does anybody else find that a little comforting? Man, yeah, I'm not there yet. But I'm still in process. You know, I find it, again, very encouraging that Paul uh, knew himself and he knew his history and he knew his life and he says, I'm not there. And I find it comforting because I know better than you do, I know that I'm not there yet either. I'm far from perfect. Yes, I've been transformed. I have a new heart, a new identity. I'm a new man in Christ Jesus. I am being transformed. I'm in the process of becoming more and more like him. All of that's true. But I still struggle. I still struggle with sin. I still have to daily Crucify my flesh, take up my cross and crucify my flesh. I daily battle my old nature on a regular basis, just like Paul. That's good news for us. That yeah, there's a struggle there, but it's okay. And despite our weaknesses and our shortcomings, what do we do then? We press on, in spite of them. Why? Because of who we belong to, because of our identity in Christ. Verse 12, Paul says, Jesus took hold of me. I love that phrase. Paul says, Jesus took hold of me. And, and uh, this morning when I came in, my granddaughter Abigail in the first service, she came running up to me. Well, actually, she stopped at our youth pastor Seth and hugged him first. I was a little envious. But then, because she's, she's infatuated with Seth, I don't know why, but she is. But then she runs up to me and she just, she just does the claw on my leg, just grabs my leg. And I'm saying, okay, Abby, look, no, no. And she giggles and holds me harder and tighter. Really, come on, Abby, I can't, I can't move. And she just thinks it's hilarious. But, but what I do? Well, I grabbed her, and then I held her. That's this word picture that's so simple and so powerful. He says, Jesus took hold of me. We hold on to him, he holds on to us. We're not perfect. We're not all that we should be. 
But we must not let that reality hold us back. We can't. We can't let it mess with our heads to the point where we just think we're, we, we can't run to God. Can I let sin be an excuse for inactivity? You can't let sin be an excuse for, for not pursuing God and his purpose for your life. Now, don't misunderstand me. Paul is not encouraging apathy here or spiritual laziness. Last week, I talked about the challenge we have to grow. We talk about it all the time. It's one of our purposes. We want you to grow, to become wholehearted followers of Jesus. That's the goal. That's the target. That's what we're aiming for. We want to be more and more like him all the time. Absolutely. And again, I said we are loved because we are his. And the point in all of that last week, if I could just mention it one more time, is that the more we understand we're loved, the more we're gonna wanna love him. The more you understand that he loves you despite your brokenness, despite your imperfections, despite the fact that you ain't perfect, the more you get his love, the more you're gonna be drawn to love him in response to that. Oh God, I screwed up again, but you love me, I can't believe it, and we, we run to him rather than run from him. That's why Paul said in verse 12, we take hold. See, that's our part. We take hold of him. He's taking hold of us. We take hold of him. Verse 14 says, we press on. Again, we engage. We press on. Verse 16, he says, live up to what we have already attained. You've got this. Now live up to that. Pursue it. In other words, we are to actively engage as we choose to participate and to cooperate with God in the process of our spiritual growth. Let me say that again. You're loved. Yes. You're imperfect. Yes. But the call throughout Scripture, and certainly here in Paul's admonition to us, is that we choose to cooperate, to participate, to actively engage in the process of spiritual growth. We don't use our sin as an, as an excuse. We don't ever go, oh, well, I sinned, oh, well. No. We don't just blow it off as if it doesn't matter. It does matter. But we don't get focused and locked in on that. We press on. Too often I hear Christians say, no, uh, God, God, I, I can't do that because I, I don't have my, you know, stuff all together yet. No, God, I, I'm, I, you couldn't do that with me because of my fill-in-the-blank imperfection, because of my sin, because of my experience. I, I hear it or I see it all the time. Christians, Christ followers who have a new identity and a new destiny, they act as if they're still the old person that they once were and they disqualify themselves all the time. Nope, 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 God, you can't use me because I hear it from non-Christians. Say, well, I, I need to figure this out. I need to deal with my drug habit. I need to deal with this problem in my life. I need to deal with that. Once I get that figured out, then I'll come to God. And I love to look him in the eye and say, nope, that ain't the way it works. You are imperfect. You will always be imperfect. The process is we surrender. We come to God. We yield. We say, God, I need you. I'm broken. I need you. God, I need a Savior. You see, here's the truth. If worthiness and perfection were requirements for service to God, then none of us would qualify. Let me say that again. If worthiness and perfection were requirements for you to be loved, accepted, and used by God, then not any, not one of us would qualify. You know, someone sent this to me a long time ago, and maybe you've read it, but it's great. And here's, here's what it says. The next time you feel like God can't use you, that you're not worthy, just remember, Abraham and Sarah were impatient and created Ishmael. Jacob was a liar and a cheat. Joseph was spoiled and cocky. Moses had an anger problem. Gideon was afraid. Samson was a womanizer. Rahab was a prostitute. David had an affair and was a murderer. Elijah was suicidal. Jonah ran from God. Peter denied Christ. Martha worried about everything. And the Samaritan woman was divorced more than once. 
Next time you think you're not qualified, you, God can't use you. Remember, from beginning to end throughout the Bible, the story is God loves to use imperfect, broken vessels. Our part is to take hold, to press on, to engage, to surrender our lives to him. It's not about being perfect. It's about being his. And again, our part is to simply cooperate, to actively engage with God. I keep aiming for the bullseye. I'm not suggesting, well, there's the target. I need to be just like Jesus. Eh, that's never gonna happen, so I'll aim over here. No, that's not the goal. We always aim for the goal. We press on. We aim to be like Jesus. I keep growing. I keep learning. And I keep putting this in practice in my life. We've talked about it before. Paul talks about it. Where we put off the old man and we put on the new. And the, the language he uses in the New Testament when he talks about this is, is the putting off, like literally taking off the old garment, the stinky old dirty clothes, and putting on this new, these new robes of righteousness we have. Right standing we have now with God. And listen, every day, are you listening? Every day. Let me say it one more time. Every day. That's what we do. We get up and we choose to put off the old and to put on the new. And then you go through your day and all of a sudden you find yourself flipping somebody off or screaming or swearing or kicking or cursing or doing something really stupid and you oh! You don't get stuck there. You put off the old and you put on the new. God, that's not who I am. That's not what you made me to be. That's, that's not who I am in Christ. And yeah, that's, I'm broken and imperfect and I, I, I confess my sin. I'm imperfect. I failed. But God, I'm gonna, I'm gonna press on because I'm gonna surrender my, I'm gonna keep saying yes to you. Along the way, we cannot let our sin, our imperfections, be excuse any, more, any longer. We keep saying yes to him. We keep pressing on. Here's the second thing, number two. You can't effectively move forward while you're constantly looking back. You cannot effectively move forward while you're constantly looking back. Paul in verse 13 makes this amazing statement. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. Now, he says I, we take hold, but I haven't taken all, hold of all of it yet. But one thing I do, here's the one thing I've, I got, I've got right. Forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on. Paul says, here's, here's a secret. Here's something I've learned. I'm not perfect. I'm not all there yet. But I'm gonna stop looking back and I'm gonna start pressing on, looking forward. I want you to think for a moment about what that meant in Paul's life. Uh, he was a persecutor of the church, by the way. In fact, he stood by and held the garments, the coats, of the people who stoned Stephen, the great uh, man of God. As Stephen was being martyred, Paul stood there in agreement and held the coats of the guys being involved. And then he went and traveled through and persecuted Christians everywhere he went. And Paul understood. He knew his failings. He knew his past. In fact, he told Timothy this in 1 Timothy 1.15. He calls himself the worst of sinners. He says, here's a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. He says to Timothy, dude, this is really something you need to listen to. That's Bubna paraphrased version. Here's a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Don't argue with me on this. Here's the truth. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the worst. Wow. He makes two profound statements here. Jesus came to save sinners. And by the way, I'm the chief. I'm number one. I'm the worst. Paul knew his past. He didn't deny that reality. But he also knew the grace and mercy of God. Wrote about it more than any other writer in the New Testament. And so he was able to let go of his past failures and to move forward. You know, I'm gonna show you a picture. It's a one that you've, we all are here, we drive. And 
it's not wise. Let me just say this. It's not wise, it's not smart to move forward while looking in the rearview mirror. Did you know that? So you're like, what? No, seriously, it's not a good idea to be doing 55 miles an hour down the freeway while you're constantly looking in the rearview mirror. It's not wise. But sometimes it's exactly what we do. We get stuck, unable to move forward because we're locked into the past because we just fix our eyes. And by the way, guess who wants you to do that? The enemy. The enemy of your soul, Satan, who hates you, wants to undermine you, shame you, cause you to, to count yourself unworthy and to disqualify yourself. He's the one constantly accusing the brethren, the Bible says. Saying, you can't, you, God can't use you to do that. And he, what does he do? He points to your past. You're not gonna be able to do that for God because, and he points to your present. You're, there's no way you're qualified to ever get that done for God because, and he points to your past. And he wants you to be fixated there. And it's not smart to drive forward, to move forward while you're looking back. And part of the reason why we look back, and I'm gonna cross into a territory, I need you to listen carefully to me, because I realize that I'm, I'm potentially pressing a hot button here. But part of the reason why we get stuck is because we see ourselves as victims. Victims either of our own choices. Man, I've made plenty, plenty, plenty of stupid choices. And so we see ourselves as victims of our own poor, pathetic, idiotic choices, or we see ourselves as victims of sin that's been done against us. But either way, we see our lives all too often through the lenses of a victim. And what looking back does for us in our lives is, is that what that creates is despair, sometimes anger, sometimes confusion and frustration. And like an animal caught in a trap, we just are, are terrified or really vicious because we're, we see ourselves as victims and we're bound by what's happened to us. Now, again, this is where I need you to listen carefully. I am not dismissing as unimportant what has taken place in your past. I'm not saying, you know, it's no big deal, hey, whatever, don't worry about it. I'm, I'm de not denying the reality of the struggle and, and that we need to deal with it and that we need to get help. We often need help to process what's happened and to get free and to get whole. I understand that. But what I am saying is this, as long as we see ourselves primarily as victims, and that's our primary identity, then we will live as victims. But in Christ, and here's the truth, in Christ, we're no longer victims, but victors. Key phrase, in Christ, in Jesus, because of him. That identity that I held as a victim in my childhood of a dysfunctional family, as a sexual victim as a, as a young boy, that's, that identity that I, I once held is been replaced now by a brand new identity. I'm in Jesus, I'm in him doesn't deny or ignore the, uh, the reality of what I went through, but it gives me a new identity, a new focus. And my lifelong journey, your lifelong journey now, is to move beyond what was into what is. Did you know that you can't change your past? Think about it. I think one of the reasons why we get intrigued by time travel movies and programs, I guess there's a new one I saw advertised coming up on TV. I love them. And, I, and I, they mess with my head. I always get completely confused. Well, how does, and why? I overanalyze. I mean, there's no way. If that person, and then how does that happen? And, and I go crazy watching these things. But you know the reason why they intrigue us? It's because there's a part of our human nature that really, really, really wishes we could just go back. Wouldn't it be awesome if we could go back to that, that stupid moment and say, oh God, if I just had never kissed that guy, my whole life would be different. Oh God, if I, if I just, if I wouldn't have, 
you know, used that drug the, the first time, if I just wouldn't have said yes to that offer, if I, God, if I just would have taken that job, God, if I just would have done this instead of that. And there's a part of us that really wishes we could just go back and redo and, you know, and not make the same stupid mistakes. I get that. But here's the reality. And it might sound depressing. Hang in there, it's not. The reality is we can't. We can't change the past. But here's the, here's the reality that's greater than that reality. Our God, guys, listen to me. He specializes in redemption, restoration, and renewal. Can I get somebody saying, hey, man, hallelujah, thank you, Jesus. He specializes in restoration, redemption, and renewal. He says, I know, I was right there, I saw I felt, I cried the tears you've cried. I know this world is filled with sin. I know people sin against people all the time. It breaks the heart of God. But God says, bring that to me. Just bring it to me. Surrender your life to me. Surrender your past, your present, even your future to me and watch what I will do in and through you. Because now you're no longer a victim, you're a victor. In me, you're an overcomer. In me, there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. No. The key to moving forward is fixing our eyes on him and who we are, our, our identity in Christ, our eternal destiny in him, and experiencing the joy that he wants for you happens as we move forward rather than get locked in the past. One last story, and I'll wrap this up, then we're gonna have communion together. Tell you about a lady named Sally. Um, that's not her real name. But many years ago, in fact, one of the first churches that I pastored, I was a young pastor. Sally came to me, and, and uh, I knew, uh, I could tell from what I saw, she has a lot of physical and emotional uh, issues. Uh, she was physically and mentally ill. She came to know Jesus, gave her life to Christ. Um, God was gracious and kind, and just it was wonderful to see the beginning for her of a, a brand new life, but she still struggled a lot. And like a lot of us. I asked Sally to tell me her story, and uh, here's, here's the, the highlights or the lowlights, I guess I should say, of her experience. Sally never knew her dad, ever. Had no relation with her father. Uh, her mom was an alcoholic all of her life. Brought men in and out of the house. Two of the men, she says, I, don't, I, I lost count of how many men but two of the men that my mom brought into the home sexually abused me. First time happened when she was like 10 or 11 years old. And my mom knew it. She said, and my mom knew what was going on and these guys sexually abused me. 15 years of age, she has her first abortion, one of three. She runs away from home, gets involved in drugs, living on the streets. I mean, you think about the worst messed up life you've ever experienced or known, that would be my friend Sally. And then Jesus, you know, interrupted her life, found her, redeemed her, began to restore her. But she had all these issues, things that were still going on. And I'm a young pastor, and I'm completely overwhelmed. I said, Sally, I, I, I pray for you, I want to support you, but I have a dear, really good Christian friend, and she's a wonderful Christian counselor. Would you go and see her? Sally said, oh, I've been to therapists. No. Have you been to Christian counselors who will help you? No. I said, I really, well, I don't have any money. I said, Sally, we'll find a way. I don't care if I have to pay for it. I want you to go see this Christian counselor. She did. And fast forward, months go by. And I have another conversation with Sally. In fact, I could see her. She's coming down our aisle of the church I was at, and she came up to me with this, this, this smile on her face, this light in her eyes that I had never seen before. 
I said, it seems like you're, looks like you're doing better, Sally. She says, oh, yeah, I really am. I said, well, what, what can I do? How can I pray for you? She says, Kurt, I just want you to know that I'm learning. And here's what she said to me, and I'll never forget. I'm learning to let go of the things I cannot change about my past as I look forward to what Jesus has for me. I'm learning to let go of the things I cannot change about my past as I look forward to the things Jesus has for me. Sally got it, and it was changing her life, and she understood what Paul is saying here. We cannot live bound by what was. We have to press forward, move on. Forgetting what lies behind, we press on. I wish I could tell you that following Jesus is easy. If you're investigating Christianity, it would be awesome if I could tell you, come to Jesus and he'll fix everything in your life overnight. You, boom, you'll be, you'll be whole in, in no time. But the truth is, it's a process and it's, it's a journey. And it's not easy. It's sometimes really hard. But he's promised to be with you, to never forsake you, to never leave you, to never let you ever be alone again. And, and all of the resources of heaven are yours available now. God says, I wanna help you get to where you need to be. Our part is to say yes, to cooperate, to choose to press on rather than get locked into our past. All right, so let me pray for you. Father, I'm keenly aware that there are uh, probably more than a few sitting in this room right now or watching online and this morning, as I'm talking about letting go, everything in them was screaming, I can't, I can't, I can't. Maybe they're frustrated. Maybe they're even angry right now with me or angry with you. And they just don't know how to get there. They don't know what to do. Jesus, I know that I can talk about letting go and moving forward, and I know the value in that. I know the power in that. But I know that that's a choice that we have to make, and we entrust our lives to you that we say, God, I believe that you're greater than my sin, greater than my past, greater than my story, that your story, your life, your power is greater than whatever it is I'm, I, I, I am because of what I've gone through. And that we have to surrender to that. We have to choose to believe in that and then just cooperate with you in the process. And so I pray, God, some of us, Lord, uh, we, we've been in process for a long time and we still need to keep moving forward. Some of us, Lord, we have not yet made that decision. In fact, keep your head bowed and your eyes closed just for a minute. Maybe you're here today and you've not yet started your life as Christ follower. But you're thinking, man, you know, I get it. I need help. I need a Savior. And it's, it's a humbling thing to admit, I need. And I know there's a part of us that resists the idea. I, I, I need a Savior. I need Jesus. I know the struggle. I've been there. But I also know the joy, the freedom the new life that comes when we say, but God, I do choose to give you my life, my past, my present, my future. I choose to embrace what you've done for me. And if you're here today and you're ready, and you, you know it's time for you to say yes to God and surrender your life to him, I'm gonna pray a very simple prayer. I'm not gonna embarrass you, I'm not gonna single you out, but I'm gonna pray a prayer. And what I'm gonna ask you to do is to make this prayer yours right now. Just own this, make it yours. Jesus, I get it. You died for me. You died for my sins. I need you. I need a savior. I need grace. I need mercy. I need forgiveness. I need your life in my life. I get it that you gave your life for me. And so right now I'm giving my life to you. 
So God, in this moment, I surrender. I say yes to you. And I put my hope in you. Redeem, restore, renew. Give me new life. Now the Bible says if that's your heart and that's your prayer, that that moment you surrender, you become his child, you're his. You're his. You're his child. You've got a new identity now and a new eternal destiny in Christ. Yep, there's still stuff you're going to have to figure out, stuff we got to process. The journey's just begun. But you have a new hope because you've got life, the life of God inside of you. Lord, thank you for that. Seal that truth in the hearts of those who are making that decision today. But help all of us leave here today pressing forward, moving on because of you. I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together. We're going to sing one last song. And, I, you know, sometimes people scoot out here early. I know you're thinking, oh, the Seahawks are on in an hour and five minutes. You'll have plenty of time. Unless you live in, like, you know, spray, you'll be fine. I'm going to ask you not to leave, to not get up, not check out, because the next five minutes could be life-changing for some of you and certainly life-changing for others. And I'm going to ask you to do this. We're going to take communion. Here's what, the way we do this. We don't pass the trays so no one feels obligated or embarrassed. Uh, there's going to be a lot of activity. But if you're, if you're here today and you're a Christ follower, you don't have to be a member of this church. If you belong to Jesus, then this is for you. Some of you made a decision to become a Christ follower today for the first time. This is for you. And... Jesus said, as often as you do this, do this in remembrance of me. What do I want you to remember today? Remember that he loves you. Remember that he died for you. Remember that he took the penalty for your sins. Remember that he's never going to give up on you. That he's there for you. I know you're thinking, well, I sinned this morning. Welcome to planet Earth. I'm not worthy. Welcome to the human race. But if you choose to say, God, I need you. And I, I, I come to remember what you did for me, to celebrate that I am new, that I'm forgiven, that I am yours, that I walk in Christ, then this is for you today. There are two different types. There's sealed cups. If you have a little dermy thing going on, you can peel it back. There's a wafer and then juice underneath that. Or the others are double stacked. In the bottom cup, there's the bread, the cracker. Top cup is grape juice. We even have in the far corner over there on a small table, gluten-free. So you got no excuse. It's all here for you today. What we're going to do during this last song is I'm going to ask you just to move the tables. They're in the front and all the way around the back. Wherever you see the candles, there's communion there. As we sing this last song, as we declare who He is and what He's done for us, He's our cornerstone. He's our hope. Would you take communion? Participate in that together. You can take it back to your, your space. Or you can just take it right here. You can take it kneel at the altar. I don't care wherever you want to. But take communion in remembrance of Jesus and I'll come back and we'll wrap it up. I love that song because it focuses on Jesus, what he's done, who he is. He's our cornerstone. We stand faultless before the throne because of him, because we are in him. Still in process in our practice, but perfect in our position because of what he's done for us. Today, if you begin your life to Christ's follower, I encourage you to let somebody know. Come up, let me know. It's the beginning. It's a journey. And you can't do this on So far more than just making a decision today. It really is a life of surrender now. And we want to walk with, this, with you in this journey. Back on the tables by the doors, there's a bag. It's a gift bag. It's got a Bible, some material. You're starting to walk with Jesus. Pick one of those up. Take it with you. There's a flyer in there for our next First Steps class. Very important. We run that about every four or five, six weeks. Sign up for the First Steps class. Go. It's important. This is a part of the process of growing in Him. 
you want to sign up for uh, hosting 50 Days of Transformation Group, we can go to the table, go online and do that. I encourage you to do that as well. And next week, we've got two more weeks left in the series. The next week, we're going to talk about finding peace. Anybody need peace in their life? Well, Paul gives a couple of ways that we can discover peace that leads to joy. My prayer for you this week is that you'll go. Knowing who you are in Christ, knowing your eternal destiny, your eternal identity, and that'll change the way you live this week. God bless you guys. Thanks for being here. See you next week.